0: everybody welcome to the starting accounting practice podcast where we're here to help you whether you're looking to grow launch or revamp your practice so it can be happy healthy and reach our communities that are so in need right now i'm really excited to be here talking with megan meganson did I say that right? Yeah, you did. <laughs> okay. You know one of those things where you're like, wait, that, it just flows so well you, that yes. it almost feels like my brain made it up.
1: It didn't. Um, <laughs> I'm just a, I'm a member of the double name club.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think I've met anybody who's a middle, oh. who's a member.
1: Glad to invite you into our inner circle.
0: I, I had a new thing today. I'm very <laughs> so Megan Meganson, and we're going to be talking about her journey of starting a counseling practice as an introvert and as a highly sensitive person. So if you are someone who is introverted, if you've been told your whole life that you are too sensitive, too emotional, what have you, and you're wondering whether you can really do a business and private practice, whether that's going to be the perfect answer for you and getting your life aligned and balance, or whether you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is all the things that I would absolutely hate um, <laughs> in my life put together <laughs> if I was to go to private practice. Megan's going to be sharing her journey and some specific tips of what has worked for her and for the people that she works with and helping coaching highly sensitive um, entrepreneurs
1: like you. Yeah. I'm so, so happy. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. I'm, I really am happy to be here. This is my, um, absolute favorite conversation to have with anyone ever is just really shining a light on how it is so possible to be really well-rested and ambitious and successful, which I think is the message that introverted, highly sensitive entrepreneurs need to hear. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Fantastic. Okay. So I always like to start with this question, which is why did you decide to become a therapist in a minute or less?
1: (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, okay. If I'm being completely honest, I would say that I came out of the womb an empathic over-functioning human being. Like I think many of us (laughs) did. So I just like right out of the gate was like way more interested in what other people were feeling than what I was feeling. Mm. Um, you know, and that was not always a great thing. Like, I don't want to like celebrate that, but I think my conditioning and my natural tendencies as a human just led me straight into psychology as an undergraduate, right. I, the study of people just Mm -hmm. clicked for me and that, you know, Studying psychology quickly led to, you can be a researcher or you can be a therapist, like which path do you choose? Mm -hmm. And at that time in my life, being a therapist just sounded like something that was an organic extension of how I already showed up in the world. So I just sort of followed the breadcrumbs. Honestly, here it is. Yeah, here it is.
0: We're, we're kind of aligned in that way that I was the person telling people when I was five, I was going to be a psychologist when I grew up. I don't <laughs> yes. even know how I knew what that was, but I definitely knew that I was always the person who was taking on everyone's junk. So yep. there you go. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a, Yes, yes, in, in a good way. And probably, I okay. mean, I, I often say, like, I, I'm so glad that my own path led me here. And also my own path gave me like decades of grist for my own therapeutic mill. You know, it's like there's a dark side and a light side to this story.
0: <laughs> for sure. That is what the shadow work is so great. Um, to to dive into all Absolutely. of the pieces. Okay. So how long? Because everyone's journey is a little bit a little bit different. It sounds Mm -hmm. like you went pretty straight through. How long did it take you from the moment that you're like, I'm going to be a therapist, not a researcher to being licensed about how long did that journey take you?
1: Uh, well, let's see. I, my graduate program was a solid two years. So I was in grad school for, you know, two full years. And then I went straight into full-time practice right after grad school. So it was probably, it was between 18 months and two years, whatever the, Mm -hmm. can't remember now, it's been so long, but whatever the state requirement was time-wise, like on the day that I was eligible (laughs) to apply for full licensure, (laughs) I did it.
0: Yeah. I'm about to say, we're like, just go down. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Just check the boxes. Okay. Awesome. And when you went right into, into practice, were you doing your own private practice? Were you working for other people? How did, Mm -hmm. how did your act, the business side of your practicing start?
1: You know, um, so when I was in grad school, we had, I had to do an externship, right? Like an external placement to seek clients in the community. And at the time, one of the professors in my grad school marriage family therapy program was launching his own group practice and invited me to join him. So I did my externship at his group practice. And when I graduated, I stayed on in the group practice and and really played a big part in helping him create this practice. Um, So I was there for, I, I don't remember exactly, a year or two after grad school before I kind of hit that threshold of like, oh, like, I, I, I think I could do this and I think I could do it better, you know? So I, <laughs> I think it's time to like, you know, this bird is ready to leave the nest and and do my own thing. So all, all in all, I was in the group practice setting for probably two and a half, three years, including that time in grad school, um, and then, and that moment came when I just, I knew that I was ready to kind of bring my own vision to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just took the leap and started private practice at that point.
0: Awesome. And what, what did it look like? Even that like first three months you're coming from group practice, maybe you've been had a little bit of the caseload that came with you. What did the first three months of private practice on your own look like?
1: I remember, I mean, I felt like I was in a honeymoon phase Mm -hmm. of my relationship with my business, you know, it just, it felt so good to me to be in, in my own space, you know, I just remember like how thrilling it was to be touring offices and to pick like where I wanted to be and, Mm -hmm. um, and so that beginning phase for me was really joyful you know, it really did feel like sort of a celebration of like, wow, look how far I've come, look what's possible. And, um, and there was that experience of, I had some clients that I was bringing with me. So I wasn't from the group practice. So I wasn't starting entirely from square one. So there was, there was an ease with which I was able to kind of build my caseload, really get clear on my target market and my you know, ideal clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it all, went really well for a while. And then I started feeling some of the exhaustion and the kind of overexposure that I think we're really vulnerable to vulnerable to as more introverted, highly sensitive people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to really justify that, you know, really figure out what does it look like for me to be fully responsible for this business and see clients and do all of these pieces in a way that, um, makes me feel really good in, in my body and in my spirit, and you know that process took many years to fine tune.
0: Yeah, I think that place. I love that you describe it as the honeymoon. It's like I don't need to sleep. I don't need to yeah. eat. I could spend so much time and energy. I can right. see the beauty of all the things, and then suddenly it's wait. I I haven't slept and I haven't mm. ate and. Wow, there's a lot of things that are irritating me about my partner mm-hmm. that like I've I've given my partner, right, my business a yeah. sense of what is what is workable, what is sustainable for me that's not mm-hmm. actually accurate. Totally, you know? And then I think when we have those those moments of like realization, mm-hmm. it's usually not just this like, "Oh, wow, I had this moment of realization. I realized what I'm doing isn't sustainable. And like, oh, I just need to make some other adjustments and take care of me. Mm -hmm. It's usually more like the crying on the bathroom floor or the like waking up in the middle of the night, like, you know, symptomology coming up, our body is telling us, what were the signs for you? Yeah. Like what did, what did that really look like realistically where you started to like listen to your body? Cause there's mm-hmm. probably a time when your body was like giving you like little messages, like mm-hmm. little like hints. And yep. then there was the point when you actually listen, what did it take yeah. for you to listen?
1: Yeah. Well, there, there are two chapters of this story. I'm sure we'll get to chapter two later, which is the, the massive burnout episode that I had when I started my group practice. So (laughs) there were, there were lessons I learned in that chapter. This, I think of like chapter one in my discovering my own limitations. And at the time I, I wasn't yet familiar with the highly sensitive person trait. Mm -hmm. Like that was not like a framework or like a body of research that I, I knew existed at all. So I I didn't have this understanding about myself. And what happened for me was that I started experiencing a lot of fatigue and a lot of body pains. Mm -hmm. Like I was just In this really weird physical pain. My joints hurt, my knees hurt, my back hurt. Like I was exhausted all the time. I was struggling to stay awake in sessions, not in a way that like clients noticed or at least I don't think they noticed. Um, but But I, but you you felt it. I felt it. I mean, it was like, I was struggling to stay awake and it, and I, I kind of like sat with it in isolation for quite a while because I was, you know, embarrassed and kind of ashamed that I was having this experience. And I decided to schedule a, um, a session with my old supervisor from, you know, pre-licensure days. And I just went and sat down with her and was like, look, like, do do you ever, do you ever struggle to like stay awake with your clients? You know? Mm-hmm. And she just looked at me in a, with kindness and compassion, but also like, I was a little bit crazy. You know, she was like, No, (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, I'm struggling to stay awake and my body hurts all the time. Um, and so she was the person who was like, you need, you know, you need to get that checked out. And long story short, I went to my, uh, GP, they had no idea what was wrong with me. They sent me to a rheumatologist, the rheumatologist Mm -hmm. did x-rays. They did blood work. They found some like kind of small, strange marker in my blood and decided that I, that I must have this, like bizarre, super rare form of arthritis. They were like, this must be why your body's hurting. They like pump me full of drugs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, and it was luckily it was only like three months later after that whole experience that I just randomly stumbled on a, an article about highly sensitive people.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, and I read it and it, I mean, honestly, I've, I've never had a moment in my life that was mm-hmm. like this dramatic of like something, something is changing right now about Mm. the way I'm understanding myself. And I decided to go off all the meds and like stop seeing the rheumatologist. And I'm like, I'm just going to make some really drastic lifestyle changes Mm. that are in alignment with this highly sensitive person stuff that I'm reading about. And I'm Mm. just going to see if anything changes. And, you know, unsurprisingly, like everything changed when I started getting enough sleep and seeing fewer clients and working fewer hours and just limiting my stimulation, doing less like social engagements outside of work. Like I had great energy. My body felt great. My pain miraculously disappeared. So anyways, it's kind of like a dramatic story of how did you realize this wasn't working, but it was a very dramatic chapter in my life. And if I wouldn't have discovered that like, I don't know. I don't think I would have, I definitely don't think I would be where I am today.
0: Well, I, I mean, at that point you start to wonder, am I supposed to be a therapist? Am I, is this really sustainable? Am I going to have chronic pain for the rest of my life? Like, what is this going to look like? You kind of, I think there's a little bit of sometimes I'm saying chasing the dragon. I don't know why this is what's popping my in popping in my head, but it's like the, like, when the whatever first medication or somebody else finds something and you're, you're trying to get to the bottom of mm-hmm. nothing kind of feels right until you know right what's going on.
1: Well, and I think when I reflect on that story in that time in my life too, it also just reminds me of how much patriarchal conditioning there is in the world. And in my life that no one ever stopped and said, Hey, maybe you're working too hard. Yeah. Or like maybe you're building a business in a way that isn't sustainable for you. Like no one ever looked at the business angle of of how I was working. They, it was like, keep doing what you're doing. You're killing it. Keep killing it. Yeah. And let's just give you these like drugs in the chemotherapy family. And like, that will keep you going. Like hold the phone. Like (laughs) this is so disgustingly messed up. Like, no, no. The question should have been how are you working? Like, what are you doing right now? That's exhausting you to the point of chronic fatigue and pain. Um, and
0: this is the thing that I think is so fascinating is I remember one of my first graduate courses, read a book. It's like a, it's like a seminal book. It's like the book. Uh-huh. that everyone reads. I cannot remember it for the life of me in this moment. Because I <laughs> fill just Fill in the
1: blank with your civil book in that you read, listener. Whatever
0: the thing was, <laughs> it was like this big and it uh-huh. was talking about whatever. Um, I just had COVID. So my brain oh my is God. a little, yeah, I'm so fine. sorry. Uh, yeah, I had one of those breakthrough despite being fully vaccinated what have you. But there are little points where my brain is just like not going. And I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I know I know this information, but all that to say. One of the assessments that he talked about was like, Asking people, tell me about a day in your Mm -hmm. life. Yeah, from more from waking up until like the next day, a 24-hour period. Just like give me the give me the scene, Mm -hmm. and obviously having coach therapists now for I've been coaching therapists for 15 years in private Mm -hmm. practice. This question is one of the biggest like pieces of assessment, and it ends up relating to. If I, as I hear someone's story, I can almost like nail it. I used to do these 15 minute interviews for, for our business school bootcamp. And I'd be talking to someone and I would just get the sense as they're talking. And I said, well, you know, blah, 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 like you're really normal. You know, and with what you're describing, I could even imagine that at some point you may start to struggle with autoimmune conditions. You may have these kind of physical symptoms. Your eye, your vision may be changing, or what have you. And they go like, uh, "No, that's already all happening." Yeah. But again, yeah. I just say it in this guess, guessy kind of way, yeah. like, "Here it is." But just like, like, like we would
1: with our therapy clients, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> just what it is, and they're they're going like, "Oh my gosh, how did you know that?" Mm-hmm. Because what you're describing. Regardless, I and I I will say for a lot of therapists, regardless of whether they're highly sensitive or not, whether they're extroverted or introverted, what we learn is the norm Mm
1: -hmm. in our
0: profession is not sustainable for 95% of the population.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: Working full time, going to school full time, working for free or for under minimum wage mm-hmm. a lot of the time while also then reading and doing homework on the side and all of the other pieces that is not sustainable and then we take that time where we kind of like did this superhuman experience and then we expect that our body is going to sustain that for mm-hmm. the rest of our <laughs> days and it's just crazy
1: it's crazy and and if i could just add like another layer on top of that. I think if we expand out beyond our therapy profession and look at the entrepreneurial space as a whole, right, we are also conditioned that the way you build a business is to hustle and grind and push, push, push. And you're always looking for more, right? Once yes. you get to five figures, that's not enough. Then you need six and that's not enough. Then you need seven and everything yes. becomes very arbitrary. And yes. it, and the underlying message is you need to be addicted to hard work, right? Like yeah. your value is a product of your productivity. So I feel like when you combine these two pieces, when you combine like the you know capitalistic patriarchal conditioning that you need to work hard and you always need more and you need to be productive. and then you combine that with what we learn as healers, which is that it's our job to bleed ourselves dry in the service of everyone else's well-being. Like you have a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah For absolutely for burnout. And I think the burnout in our profession, the burnout upon entrepreneurs in general, is incredibly high the burnout in our profession is incredibly high and yeah. when you look at what happens for a lot of people is they get diagnosed with depression they get diagnosed with these other things why because the symptoms of a major depressive disorder or some there's some other pieces that can also pop up are no different than the symptoms of burnout it's the, mm-hmm. the etymology it's the how yeah. did it start right is the difference Right. And I think that place of of as as therapists and as private practice owners, we need to as as business owners, we need to really live out what we talk about with our clients. And I think we need to change the narrative Mm -hmm. as private practice owners. I sit in Facebook groups sometimes and I hear people, well, oh no, like I work 60, 70 hours a week. That's what you do as a group practice owner. That's what you do as an individual practice owner, you know, whatever that looks like. I've worked with so many group practice owners and solo, or specifically, I think even about group practice owners where you look at the numbers, they've created a group practice where they are making less money as a group practice owner than they were as a solo practice owner. Their profit has gone down. They're seeing the same caseload. They just tripled their workload. And then you hear people saying like, these group practice owners are are profiting off the backs of their employees. Yes, that can happen. There are absolutely problematic group practice owners out there. There are also problematic scenarios where a lot of group practice owners are doing the exact opposite mm-hmm. and they're paying people to work for them yeah. and they feel like they're successful, but then they're confused. Why does mm-hmm. it always feel so hard? Why is it so hard to make payroll? Yeah. I don't really understand what, what's in the way, what's, mm-hmm. what's, what needs to happen for me to like actually feel like, Oh, the amount mm-hmm. of time and energy I'm putting into this makes
1: sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Let's talk about
1: chapter two. Oh yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about chapter two. Um, yes, I, I'm I'm resisting the, uh, I'm resisting the urge for us to go on the group practice business model tangent right now. So I'm just going to (laughs) reel that in, but everything you said is 100% correct. Yes. (laughs)
0: Um, so when and why did you decide to go from solo to group practice?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, I, have always been a very ambitious person and uh, I have a lot of ambition. I love creating things like being in the creation phase is just a very creative and aligned place for me to hang out. Um, So I'm always a, a person who's thinking about like, well, what's, you know, what comes next? And as a therapist in private practice, who is coming into therapy as, as their first career, there's really only one low hanging piece of fruit that you can see easily on the path, which is like, well, I guess I just multiply what I'm doing now. You know, I guess Mm -hmm. I I just hire people. So it, it was in my head that group practice was the next thing I need to do now. Spoiler alert. I feel like 90% of what I do as a business coach with people who are leveling up is saying like, Hey, let's talk about all of the other things that you can do that aren't group practice, because I don't think group practice is the right choice for most people. Um, but at the time I didn't know that, like that was, that was the piece of fruit that I saw hanging in front of my face and Mm -hmm. I decided to grab it. And at the same time, my husband and I were making a massive life change. He was burnt out in corporate America, we were burnt out of living in Southeast Texas. Um, so we decided just to turn everything upside down. He quit his job. We packed up, we moved to Portland, Oregon, and we were like, let's take a stab at starting a group practice. And you can work with me instead of going back into a corporate setting, which was just, Mm -hmm. you know, draining his soul. Yeah. And um, so it was so this, the decision to launch our group practice here in Portland, which is called the Center for Couples and Sex Therapy. Um, it really came from both of those angles. There was the part of me that wanted to expand my reach and wanted to build a bigger business. And then there was the very real kind of financial pressure that we sort of put, you know, onto ourselves by making this decision to move to a much more expensive place to live uh, <laughs> and with, simultaneously, with no have my husband quit his job. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it was a crazy time there for a minute. But um, that's you know that's where it came from part part ambition and part need, um, which is you know always a- an interesting place to make things happen when there's that element of of need and, and real scarcity that's fueling the endeavor.
0: I had um, when I I had been in private practice. Um, for, for several years. And I was married at the time and I had been doing Zinni me with Kelly um, for several, for several, for fewer years, but for several years as well. And then my former husband had this opportunity to go to Seattle and he'd always kind of struggled in his profession. He'd struggled in his career and I'd always been successful. And so it was like, okay, here's this opportunity for him to be successful. He was always like losing his jobs and getting laid off. And we're like, okay, we need to like, figure out something. He needs to level up. So we went to Seattle and I closed down my six-figure practice. Mm-hmm. And here was this side business that had a good side business income, but it was not a full-time income. And mm-hmm. now I just went from living in Modesto where my mortgage was like $700 to Seattle where, you know, right, rent was, you know, two to $3,000 mm-hmm. um, just for like, not a lot, you know, all the things. And so it was definitely this moment of like, Oh, like this has to go. Like I went all in Mm -hmm. with Sydney, me, um, with Kelly and that was, that was the place, but it was definitely the first time that I was in business where it was a, oh crap moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's some real scarcity there. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. a real panic place and it's a, it's sometimes hard, I think, to find your center mm-hmm. when you're in that. It's hard to like tap into your intuition. It's hard to trust yourself. I think even during that time, I remember one of the pieces where like I had the strong intuition, basically now looking back, like the strong intuition that we're supposed to start business school boot camp, And we had a business coach who was like, no, that's a terrible idea. Don't mm-hmm. do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible idea. And like, it kept coming back and it literally like took until I just said, like, look, like, no, this needs to happen. And like really push for it. And then mm-hmm. everything shifted, but it was, it was hard to trust my intuition. It was hard to trust yeah. my gut. It was hard to set a boundary and say, no, this is, this is our business. Mm-hmm. Like what you want for us isn't necessarily making sense to us. It's not feeling good to us. Yeah. And so we need to move, move forward with that. So you so for you. You're in Portland, you're under the wire. How did that impact? You said this led to your big burnout episode. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I think um, the big burnout episode was really triggered by um, a coaching program that I joined, right? So I I actually felt pretty good like landing in Portland. I had, I had a very, I had a plan that was really based part on intuition and part on data. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, this is the roadmap. This is how we're going to grow this business. Here's like, you know, my, my husband, Jonathan, um, he was an engineer, right? So like Mm -hmm. spreadsheets, his joy, his his pride (laughs) and joy are his spreadsheets. And he was able to really step in and do lots of financial projections for us and and help us see, you know, what we had to do to be profitable. Mm -hmm. So that part was, it was feeling okay. But the part for me that was still feeling unsettled was this part of me that was ambitious. You know, and I could, I could really feel in my body that like, yeah, I'm doing this because it's the next logical thing to do, but this isn't the thing yet that like really lights me up and really makes me want to get up like out of bed in the morning, but I don't know what that thing is yet. Mm-hmm. So I feel fine about this group practice. I mean, I still own and operate our group practice and I, mm-hmm. I love it. I'm very proud of what we've created. Mm-hmm. And I can say that my group practice is not the thing that makes me excited to get out of bed in the morning. So. <laughs> So I decided to join a a group coaching program mastermind. And it was the first time I had done this, like high investment and and kind of sitting in the room with a bunch of, you know, a players. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were so many things about that experience that were transformational for me in a really good way, but it was not a program that was designed for people with real energetic limitations like myself, you know, like this, it was not run by people who were more introverted or people who understood like the highly sensitive makeup. So the, the energy in the group was very much like hustle, you know, grind it out, like, just like, keep, keep going and set these like massive financial goals, just, just because you can. And I was in it, you know, like if you, like, look, I'm a team player and I'm a, and I'm a straight A student. So you put me <laughs> in the room and I'm going to try to do a really freaking good job. Um, and I took everything I was learning and I was trying to apply it to the group practice. And pretty quickly about a year after, um, my experience in the program, I just burn out. I mean, and, and it was that, it was that point where I really knew what burnout meant, Mm-hmm. And what it felt like, you know, that where you just can barely get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. I was crying all the time. I was just filled with dread. I mean, it was just, it was the lowest I have ever felt in my life. And between Jonathan and then my business besties kind of reflecting back to me, like something's got to get like, this is, you are not well. And I wasn't, I mean, I was this close to shutting the whole thing down and being like, I just, you know, just send me back to private practice. Obviously I'm not cut out for this. I'm not cut out to be ambitious. I'm not cut out to build bigger businesses. Like I can't do this. Um, so I took a sabbatical, like I stepped away for uh, about six weeks and didn't touch it. Like I basically just passed the reins on to the other people, and the group it was still pretty small at the time. So luckily, it was it was manageable to do. And I was like, I don't really care what happens while I'm gone. Honestly, if I come back and you've burned the place to the ground, fine. <laughs> don't don't care. <laughs> like, I'm really done. <laughs> like I'm I'm done. Like you just like do what you need to do to keep this afloat. You know, while I step away. And I mean, it was it, it's that sabbatical was the best gift. I have ever given myself because it was after a solid three weeks of crying and sleeping and feeling miserable that I started to, you know, emerge from the fog. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, this isn't right. Like, I, I don't have to do it this way. Yeah. And, and then I started looking for people who were talking about doing it in a different way. And there weren't that many, I couldn't really find anyone. So I just figured, you know, I'm just going to have to be the person to figure this out. Cause I, I won't, I refuse to believe that just because I have these energetic limitations and I want to take really good care of myself yeah. and I, you know, don't want to be addicted to hard work that I can't also be wildly successful. Like, no, I just refuse to accept that. Yeah. And here I am.
0: And here you are I'm not accepting is, that. Ex- this is the piece. Like, I don't know how many people, cause this topic comes off again, I think, whether highly sensitive or not, this topic comes up with our boot campers and with our community of people having these superhuman expectations of themselves, yep. these ideas that like, Oh, I have all these opportunities. So I'm going to say yes to them. And Hey, here's my mentors and my mentors are burnout and working 70 hours a week and mm-hmm. and doing all these things. And they, they don't feel good about their lives, but they look successful on the outside. Yeah. And for people to really, <laughs> we had... We have this, um, it's so silly. It's like an Excel spreadsheet because people have so much difficulty translating what it takes for them to like live their life into like what it looks like on a day-to-day. Yep. So it's this like Excel spreadsheet where somebody like puts out like, hey, here are all the tasks," and it's all lined out, personal and professional. Here are the things that I need to do on a weekly basis, grocery shopping, um, cleaning my house, Mm -hmm. um, paying bills, like whatever that looks like, like, here's, here are my life activities, taking care of pets, taking them for walks, taking your kids to whatever, like whatever someone's life looks like. And I don't know how many clients came back and said, Oh, I'm 24 hours short a week. Yeah. That's a problem of active time that I'm expecting myself to somehow put together. Because again, I have underestimated what it really takes to live my life, yeah. to live my life in balance, to have a business that's in balance, that idea of, oh, I want to work 30 hours a week. So I'll see 27 clients.
1: No, no. That's so dumb. Stop <laughs> like,
0: it. like the amount of people they're like, oh, so I'm seeing 35 clients a week, but I, and I want to do another stream of income. I said, well, what I know right now is that you're working probably 55 or 60 hours a week. Oh yeah, I am. Yeah. No, you don't need another stream of income. <laughs> we need to like transfer. They're like, well, but I feel really burnt out.
1: Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like let's... I'm 0% surprised by that. <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> and, and I think that's the other part too, is that some people will even say, well, I'm only, I'm only seeing 22 clients, but they're couples that are high conflict or I'm only seeing, like for me, I would see less than 20, but I also have an autoimmune condition. And mm-hmm. that has a huge impact on my body and my body's ability to kind of like be in balance. And I need like variety in my day or what have you. Like that place of saying, like, here's what it really takes for me to like live life and show up for my clients and be fully present and energetic. Cause I think there's almost this idea that like it's, it's, I'm going to say it like, I believe that there's a lot of things happening with privilege that are really problematic, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a privileged conversation for us to say, Hey, my energy matters in the therapy room. And I want to design a life and a business that allows me, whether it's the first client of the week or whether Mm -hmm. it's the last client of the week, that they still get the same therapist. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't, like they're not being honest, or they have a secret shame about, yeah, hey, the first client of the week maybe does get my best, and I feel yeah. really good about that. But the last client of the day, the last client of the week,
1: well, can we just expand doing. that out a little bit yeah. too to say that like your partner gets the best you on Monday that they get on Friday, and your kids get the best you on yes Monday that they get on Friday? And I think that I think therapists in particular are really bad at comparing themselves to other people. And I think like Facebook is the worst place for this. Uh, like, honestly, one of my least favorite places to spend time is inside of a therapist Facebook group. Um, it's like, you know, it's kind of like a hellhole, honestly, in many of these groups and you just <laughs> get in there and then you're, you just feel bad about yourself. Yeah. And I'm like, so just, if, if that's you, like, just take a step back, just take yes. a step back because it doesn't matter if Miranda can see 22 clients a week. And Megan says she can see 15 clients. Like it doesn't, it really doesn't matter what anyone else can do the work and the work that I love doing with my business coaching clients. is like, we need to figure out what you actually need to be happy. Yes. Right. How much money do you need to make in order to live your dream lifestyle? How many hours do you want to work? How many hours do you want to see people versus how many hours do you want to design a program or like whatever it is that lights you up, but, but your business should take care of you first and your clients second. Mm -hmm. And until you like make that mindset shift, you, I think will continue being just, kind of a cog in the machine of this practice that you create and you don't have to do it that way. I guess that's what I want people to know. You don't have to do it that way.
0: Agreed. And I think it's not even that there'll be a cog in the machine. You'll be a bean in the machine. That's getting crushed up by the over and over again. Like you'll be the thing that's flying around inside of the machine going, what the going on this is really painful Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm living in crisis and panic and 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 want and I get stressed out every time I get a tax bill Mm -hmm. or it's time to do this thing at the end of the year or I get somebody my rent goes up $25 or 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 even $100 a month and like my business panic Yeah. You're in panic because your business is running so Mm -hmm. tightly that you don't have room for what we know is life, which is costs go up, inflation goes up and you don't even give yourself mental space of, okay, my rent is going up. Like that's a thing. Do I love my space? Is there a better space? No, I really love my space. Okay. What does that look like? Oh, it's time to look at my fees and make a shift. It's time to ask insurance plans for a raise. Mm -hmm. It's time to say no to insurance plans that can't give me that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and now I make those adjustments because I'm in control of the machine. I built the
1: machine. I am (laughs) like, yeah, it works for you. Yes, Right. It has to, I just am such a firm believer. Like I want you to wake up in the morning and be completely in love with your business. I want you to like, wake up and, and just to be like, excited about every aspect of it. I want you to love your schedule. I want you to love the people that you're working with. I want you to love the flexibility it provides for you, the money that it makes for you. And if, and if you're not madly in love with it every morning, when you wake up, like something needs to be tweaked.
0: Yeah. And go and have a conversation with your business. Um, Kelly does this work a lot where she'll do empty chair technique um, with coaching clients and say like, okay,
1: let's have a conversation. Yeah.
0: Have a conversation with your business, tell your business what you need from it and then let your business tell you what it needs from you. Yeah. And there's often this like very, like this very like disconnect, like, oh, they're not giving me what I need. And they're like, well, you're seeing so many clients. You don't have time for me. Yeah. You're not giving me attention either.
1: Totally. I mean, my, I, my work is in the therapy space. It's like I'm a couples and sex therapist and I have just realized over the years, like, Oh, every conversation I'm having with a couple, about their emotional connection or about sex and pleasure. I'm like, Oh, this is all like directly parallel to what I need to be doing with my business. And there's one other thing I want to say for the people who are listening to this, who, who do have that like ambitious spark inside is you have to build your schedule with at least a day where you have nothing. It's just white space. And I like to call this with my clients, like, where is the CEO time on your schedule, which is just like a block of time where you get to go on a walk and think and watch a webinar or read a book or like really tend to this part of you that knows there's more waiting for you. And if you create a schedule where like you're saying, Miranda, your time is maxed out seeing therapy clients. And then you have just enough time to write your notes and pay your bills before you have to go pick your kids up, or you have to like run home to like, I don't know, get some sleep. Um, like you are going to feel so unhappy in your practice, but it might not be that you don't love the work you're doing. It's just that you don't love how you're doing the work. So I think we just have to give ourselves this giant permission slip to see the amount of people that we actually want to see. And then to be okay with having time every week where we do nothing and knowing that like, that's like that time where you're doing nothing, like that's where the biggest transformations are hanging out.
0: It's it's magic. And I think then that's the place where when you want to be creative, you want to do some kind of fun project. You want to play with the idea of doing a course or doing this yeah. or doing that.
1: You've got it. That's it's already it built into from. your schedule.
0: It's not going to be, I'm going to work Saturdays and Sundays no. for the oh, next no. six weeks. And I'm going to launch this magical course that's going to give make me a hundred thousand dollars because I heard it on a podcast, and then that's going to save me yeah. from my terrible relationship, which is my private practice. Yeah, and I'm going to be able to like move out and move on to something else. Yeah, because I, I think that place of of really understanding that the first place to to focus in on is in the relationship that you already have. Yeah. It's not about, it's sort of like we're going to couples work, right? And people are like, I'll just do polyamory. Like that'll save it. Polyamory is like totally a valid choice. And yeah, that is not going to magically change your core relationship that you're starting with. Like that's not gonna change it. And I think you probably see this with your clients too. With our clients, when they start to change the way that they are in their business and in that relationship with their business and with themselves, it transforms the way that they are in the romantic relationships, the totally. way that they set boundaries with, with children, with the PTA, mm-hmm. with, um, other business owners, with yeah. friends, all these other things that it starts to, um, yeah. lead out in a positive way and all these other relationships, it
1: transforms. If you do this inner work yeah. in your business, it will change your whole life, everything, So my, I, I totally lose. In fact, when I have people coaching clients working with me and my group programs, long term group programs, I say day one, like you need to be in therapy if you're going to be here. Um, like, because I just know that you need a place to go where you can really process everything that's happening. And then my business coach who isn't connected to the therapy space at all has this line. And I'm like, yeah, this is brilliant. He says 99% of your business problems are personal problems in disguise. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, that's 100% accurate because there is a parallel process, right? Like what's happening in your business is just a microcosm of what's been playing out your whole life. And it's your job as the business owner to be simultaneously working on your relationship with your business so that it absolutely serves you first and foremost, but also like it's your responsibility to be working on your own shit too, because if you're not working on that, It's just going to keep playing out in your business and you're going to feel like you're on this crazy making hamster wheel. So like accept and embrace that you've chosen this life path of being a CEO, being a business owner, and you don't have to feel handcuffed by that. Like it can actually be the most liberating transformational experience of your entire life because of the way it overlaps with everything else. That's what I love about it. I love that there's that possibility for change and a much- Bigger way.
0: The, the, and when we lean into it, when like the stuff yeah. comes to the surface in our business, and instead of going, oh my gosh, this means I'm a terrible business owner. This means I'm a terrible therapist. I'm going to go into shame. I'm going to hide from this. I lean in and I get curious about it. Yeah. And I see this as what an opportunity really about? for growth. Yeah. We gave all of our private coaching clients uh, these shirts that say Foobs Fighter, Foobs Family of Origin. Bullshit.
1: (laughs) And that is
0: one of our like things, like, Uh oh, and and even for our clients, them giving it a name and going like, oh, this is my foods. Like I can feel how this is different. And so they start to identify, like, oh, this is a stressful moment versus like, oh, this is triggering. Yeah. And this is old stuff. And so if it's just a stressful moment, I'm going to do it differently than like, if it's a trigger and it's mm-hmm. foods, I'm going to sit down with some journaling. I'm going to reach out to a friend. I'm going to do a therapy session about mm. it, whatever that is and identifying it and being able to like really see the process and kind of get a little above it. Yeah. It's just magic in taking Ugh. like the tea and like the ugh out of it. It also
1: to- stops you from like over-investing in superficial strategies, right? Because yeah. I feel like some people are hitting up against foob stuff in their business. And then what but what they interpret is like, oh, I just need to learn more. I just need to do another webinar. I just need to take another course. You know, I just need, it's like, they're trying to solve this wound that is really deep and goes back decades and decades with more information and more action and more work. And it's just like, Hey, take a pause, take a. Big, deep breath before you like push down another two grand for like another course about something (laughs) and like, maybe go to therapy instead, or maybe get a business coach. who can like reflect some of this back to you because you probably already know everything you need to know to be wildly successful. Like it's already inside of you. We just collectively have to like step away from believing that we're not enough and just like be with what's emerging in the moment. Like, but you already know what you need to know.
0: Our, our clients, I, I will say, I will, I will disagree with part of that. We've absolutely put our clients on like, you are not allowed to enroll in any more courses, no more certifications, like stop it. Like we can see what you are doing. Like, yeah. like this is crazy. And I think there is a place of, for some basic business knowledge, right? If you're trying to figure out, like, I don't know how to do projections, I don't know how to to set my fee. I don't know how to build my website. Like, I think it's fine to go out and get that education for that. But there's a difference between like getting your basic education for running your private practice and getting into this place of you're never good enough. Mm -hmm. I need, Oh, if I just get an EFT. Well, I think that's the work
1: is you have to know where it's coming from, right? If if you're taking chronic action out of this place, out of a place in you, that's getting triggered out of fear that you're not good enough. If that's the place where you're constantly grabbing new information, like that's a problem. But of course, like, yes, in order to be successful as a business owner, you have to have the basic foundations and skill sets. Um, So you, you need to learn that, but then you need to stop and you need to just like slow down (laughs) and spend a little more time working on your own stuff.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Megan, um, as we start to wrap up, do you want to share what would be your top piece of advice to other highly sensitive introverted people who are out there starting or in private practice? Um, what would be your biggest piece of advice to them?
1: You know, it's, it's another iteration of this a theme. I feel like we've been talking about all, all morning, Miranda, which is take a big step away from what you're doing. And I mean, like, if you can take yourself on a little retreat mm-hmm. or like get out of your house, get out of your office and just go somewhere where you can just sit and think for a couple of days and, and really ask yourself, what is it that you want, right? What is it that you want? from your life. I mean, that's always the best place to start. What do you want from your life? Really? What do you want it to look like? And what kind of business would light you up? You know, if you could just paint a picture of, of a random week that just felt like a total dream for you, what would that look like? And then I want you to put that in stone, (laughs) like sit it on your desk and every single decision that you make, it needs to be measured against that vision that you have for yourself. And and you got to just turn down the noise because you are going to be inundated with what other people tell you you should be doing, Mm -hmm. or you should be feeling or, you know, well, so-and-so did this in their business. So I guess I have to do that. Like you have to be an excellent filter so that you can just turn the volume down on all of that focus back in on just what is it that you want and then create a business that you're madly in love with. And if you do that, like, you will be fine. You will be, you will be so happy. And, Mm -hmm. and I think, and if you need help along the way, get help, work with somebody who's walked the path before who can hold your hand be your cheerleader. Um, so don't be afraid to ask for help, but at the end of the day, like only, you know, the answer to what it is you need to create.
0: Awesome. And where share your, um, your URL, your domain, obviously it'll be in the show notes guys and all that good stuff, but um, where can people go to find out more about the amazing resources that you have for highly sensitive um, people and introverted
1: um, entrepreneurs? Uh, well, you can visit my website, MeganMeganson.com. And um, I'm also including for your listeners my free guide that I made coming out of my own terrible experiences with burnout, uh, where I walk you through the four business building mistakes. That will definitely leave you burnout and broke and what you can do instead. Uh, so some of those four mistakes we talked about today and a couple that we didn't. So I think learning from the mistakes of the, those who have walked the path before you is uh, a really nice way to set yourself up for success.
0: Ah, awesome. Megan, thank you so much for being here. So, so, so appreciate you sharing your story. If you were inspired by today's story, if this was helpful for you, obviously go check out Megan Meganson. As well as go and review and wherever you're listening to this podcast, leave a comment, help us out with that place. Um, Also, a little invitation, we have our free masterclass coming up. Four days of pause, getting clarity, and really diving down deep into what needs to happen for you to have a business that really works for you that also gives great clinical outcomes. So whether you are successful and you have a waiting list a mile long and you're feeling burnt out (laughs) and trying to figure out what's next and how to support that will help you with that, or whether you're launching from scratch and you're not sure what the first step is. And you're wondering, well, why are those people filled up? And I'm, I'm not, whatever that looks like. We're going to take you step-by-step through a process and be giving away thousands of dollars worth of prizes. So go and check that out at (laughs)
1: ZinniMe.com.
0: All right. Until next time, guys, remember you are needed. um, You are valuable. And you, like the unique way that you do this work is important and powerful. And allowing yourself to get whatever support you need to be able to be your best self. That's what clients need from
1: you.